Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. In this season, we are talking about the impact and the implications of the results of MC12, the WTO's 12th ministerial conference held in Geneva in June 2022. I'm Daniel Prusen, spokesperson of the WTO, and in today's episode, you'll be hearing about fish and fishery subsidies. So, let's talk trade. Excellencies, you're not going home empty-handed. The package of agreements you have reached will make a difference to the lives of people around the world. On fisheries subsidies, WTO members have for the first time concluded an agreement with environmental sustainability at its heart. This is also about the livelihoods of the 260 million people who depend directly or indirectly on marine fisheries. That was WTO Director General Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala at MC12's closing session. The world's oceans are facing an existential crisis. Fish stocks are dwindling under the pressure of overfishing, with nearly 50% of assessed stocks being overfished, according to recent estimates. Subsidies to the fisheries sector have been a big contributor to this depletion of ocean resources. While estimates vary, governments pay tens of billions of dollars in subsidies annually, including subsidies that contribute to illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, as well as fishing on the high seas. Much of this fishing would not be possible without these subsidies. WTO members were tasked in 2001 to come up with global rules to curb harmful fishery subsidies. It took 21 years until they finally achieved their goal with the conclusion of the Agreement on Fishery Subsidies at MC12, thus fulfilling not only the mandate fixed in 2001, but also by the United Nations in 2015 as part of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Why did it take so long? And what was needed to secure the fisheries subsidies deal, the first WTO agreement with environmental sustainability at its core? With us to recount the fisheries subsidies tale are two people who were deeply involved in the negotiations. My name is Saina Batal. I work in the WTO Secretariat Fish Team. I'm currently the secretary to the negotiating group on rules. And my name is Santiago Wills. I'm the Colombian ambassador and permanent representative to the WTO, and I chaired the fishery subsidies negotiations. Thank you both for joining us. Um, It was a pretty grueling ministerial conference, went uh, 36 hours over the scheduled limit, five and a half days of roller coaster negotiations. What did you do to survive that period, um, that lengthy meeting, and we also saw a lot of delegations bringing in um, takeout food and things like that towards the end. What was your comfort food or drink that got you through all these uh, difficult hours? That's a very interesting question, particularly for the um, fishery subsidies negotiations, because some of the team barely survived. We um, had two of us that were hit with COVID during the course of the ministerial, but we were adamant that COVID-19 was not going to get the best of us again in terms of reaching an outcome. For two of us, we were helping from our beds half the time, and we were really relying on vitamin C and as much medication as possible to get us through the few days. And um, the rest of the team, including the chair and the facilitator, were remarkable in picking up the pieces 
behind us. So I'll pass it on to Santiago since he was physically there and um, had to do a lot of the groundwork. And I should start by saying that despite uh, two of our members of the team having COVID at home, they did remarkable work. So a big thanks to say in working even through COVID during that week. I think that comfort food is may maybe being too generous at this point. I think it was such a hectic week that, that it's more of survival food. I think I've never eaten so much granola bars or protein bars in my life. I, I think I basically depleted the stock of protein bars from the vending machine at some point. Let's talk about um, the actual substances and significance of what was achieved at MC12 on fisheries subsidies. Um, this subsidies agreement regarding uh, the fisheries sector, the, the first of its kind in the um, history of the WTO, the first addressing uh, environmental sustainability at its core. What does this agreement achieve and what is it a response to? I would say that the significance could be twofold. One substantive, one systemic. So maybe I'll start with the substance of it. As you know, the situation of fish stocks around the world is, is awful. I think one of the last studies showed that around 50% of the assessed stocks are overfished. This means that even for those unassessed, we have no idea what's happening. So it could even be worse. What this agreement intends to do is to curb the harmful subsidies that contribute to that situation. So we're trying to curb those subsidies or prohibit the subsidies to IUU fishing. That's illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. Prohibit the subsidies to fishing in the unregulated high seas. Prohibit the subsidies that to fish the stocks that are already overfished. We're creating a new fisheries subsidies committee in the WTO that will take care of let's say, the operation of the agreement. We're linking the agreement to dispute settlement. So if anything is not resolved through dialogue, through the committee, there's still recourse to dispute settlement. So it's an enforceable agreement. We're building also and establishing a finance mechanism that we call a fish fund that will help provide technical assistance and capacity building to developing country members and LDC members. That's the least developed countries among WTO members in implementing the agreement, including notifications. And notifications is yet another very, very strong pillar, substantively, of the significance of this agreement. Because one of the issues we've had throughout the 20, 21 years of negotiations is the lack of reliable data on subsidies and also on fisheries management. So this notifications and transparency pillar of the agreement is going to be key in improving that situation. Then we have the systemic impact to the WTO and in general to the, to the world, I would say. It's the first agreement in the WTO that deals with sustainability in its core. So basically, it's the, the first environmental agreement in the WTO. This creates a very strong precedent to keep on tackling other sustainability issues. I think this is the first and possibly the largest binding and enforceable multilateral agreement focusing on ocean sustainability. So this is huge. Despite the difficulties in geopolitics despite COVID, we were able to have consensus again on a legally binding multilateral agreement. So systemically, this is a very important leap forward. The fact is we know so little about the state of oceans around the world. We, we know that coastal uh, regions are suffering from overfishing and this is a global phenomenon, but yet there seems to be so much information that's missing. The lack of information has also made it extremely challenging in the negotiations. I remember when DG Ngozi first 
started SDG a year ago, she first asked, well, what are the numbers? What, how much subsidies are we dealing with? And the only information that we could provide was from um, research that was out there rather than from the notifications that were provided by members. And we know that usually what comes from members would be most uh, reliable in terms of our own assessment. So with the new notification and transparency requirements, this would require not only in complying with the rules, but providing the information on not just the subsidies, but also on the fisheries management side, doing the stock assessments. It incentivizes members to be able to use more fisheries management when they're thinking about their support programs. There are various figures out there as the amount of subsidies uh, that are available, and those figures are estimates or guesstimates, you could say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's part of the, of the difficulty we've had. We have very important academic studies, uh, but this is not subsidies that have been notified by members, so the reliability of the specifics of the numbers is still a question mark. Um, and this is what we're trying to correct. But in general terms, the, the academic studies show that around 35 billion US dollars a year are being granted to the fisheries sector in subsidies. From that, it's estimated that around 22 billion US dollars a year contribute to our fishing and overcapacity. So basically 22 billion US dollars are contributing to the depletion of stocks in an unsustainable way. And this is what we're trying to avoid. So as I was just saying, we're not just prohibiting the harmful subsidies. But I think the agreement overall, when implemented, will create the available fiscal space for all that money to become positive subsidies so that we stop undermining sustainability and, and instead we contribute to sustainable fisheries. There seems to be a general misunderstanding about this agreement that it's out there to ban all subsidies, but it, this really is an agreement focused on harmful subsidies, those that contribute to sustainable fishing. Um, there still is the flexibility for members to, to provide those subsidies, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have two main pillars and one additional discipline. Discipline? Basically the clauses throughout the agreement, so the articles in the agreement. We have a clear prohibition and a, a requirement to withdraw any subsidy that has been granted to an, a vessel or an operator that has been engaging in illegal fishing or IUU fishing. Then we have a very clear discipline prohibiting subsidies to fish stocks that are already overfished with a particular very limited exception to those subsidies that are actually contributing to the recovery of that fish stock. And then we have uh, a very clear prohibition to grant subsidies for fishing in the unregulated high seas. Just to add on the prohibition for subsidies to overfish stocks, members can continue to grant those subsidies so long as they demonstrate that they have policies or the subsidy themselves are helping to rebuild the stock. So that's, I guess, what some would call good programs or good subsidies. Let's talk about the impact of this agreement, particularly on um, developing countries. How will this agreement affect coastal communities in developing countries? What we expect from this agreement is that if there are no subsidies that make profitable certain harmful fishing practices that are the ones depleting the fish stocks, we hope we see a recovery of those fish stocks. And what what has been impacting those fishing communities, coastal fishing communities, especially in developing country members, is precisely the depletion of the fish stocks. So they're going out to fish and there's no fish to fish. So they have to go even beyond and beyond, putting even their life at risk and going beyond what they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to be fishing. So if, if there's a recovery of the fish stocks where the fish stocks used to be, it will help a lot the fishing 
uh, coastal communities, especially of developing country members. And this is why we've also seen that a lot of ocean economies have had a big stake in these negotiations. These are countries that rely heavily on the ocean for their income. Because the way that they see it and the way that they view sustainable development is not just from the fish sustainability side, but also the sustainability of their own livelihoods and nutrition. And um, for them, there's no fish, there's no economy, there's no food. So um, the impact that this could have also just on their livelihood and food security could be quite beneficial. It is a novelty this um, that the WTO has concluded um, a major agreement uh, addressing a significant environmental challenge. How did that come about, particularly at the end? Fisheries was one of the last issues to be decided at MC12. How did it come about? Walk us through those uh, final steps. As we've always said, it's taken almost 21 years. And this is an area that is completely politically sensitive and also technically difficult. You know, we're talking about subsidies, we're talking about sovereignty, we're talking about fisheries management, and many members say the WTO is not a fisheries management organization. We're used to talking about trade and trading between borders, but now we're talking about a common good. So these negotiations have always been quite challenging. Why in the world was the WTO, a world of trade negotiators and lawyers like you, getting involved in discussions on fisheries management, catch, subsidies, etc. Why was the WTO the place where this happened? It was first mandated in 2001 through the Doha Development Agenda. And it was a group of members that decided that, you know, for the sustainability of our fish, we need to look at the subsidies, the support that is provided there. There's data out there that fishery subsidies, those that are harmful, impact fish stocks and the livelihoods of those that depend on it. So it really did start from what you call the friends of fish within the WTO context. But then it was really the impetus that was provided in the um, SDGs. The UN Sustainable yeah, Development the UN Goals. UN Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, which um, really provided that political momentum because world leaders then saw this as an opportunity. SDG 14 is generally for the ocean, but then Knowing that there are different aspects that need to be resolved within the ocean, one of the recognitions there was that harmful subsidies is something that um, needs to be tackled if we're supposed to take ocean sustainability seriously. And of course, the only place, at least right now, globally, that deals with subsidies and deals with binding rules is at the WTO. So they found that WTO was best placed to deal with these issues. So we already have the agreement on subsidies and countervailing measures. However, it doesn't have that sustainability aspect of it. So it was first seen as enhancing those rules, but now we are at another stage where we have our own rules dealing with um, the issue. I guess the turning point would be from in 2020 when we had the first full text um, that was sent to members. And that text was the first in the history of the negotiations that members could actually use to start negotiating. And from there, there was a bit, an evolution of the text into what we have today. So um, I'll pass it to Santiago to give the last few months and hours of the negotiations and his experience. It's hard to remember exactly what happened in the last, I think, 48, maybe 56 hours of, of the ministerial conference, because we were all basically falling asleep. We had a sleep deficit. It was, it was a bit crazy. And I, I should say it was also an emotional roller coaster, because there were moments in, in the ministerial meeting that everything looked perfect. Everyone was agreeing to what we had there. Everyone was engaging. And suddenly, crisis. 
something happened that nobody knew what ha what actually happened and they were trying to extinguish fires everywhere and see what was going what was going on so from being in a perfect honeymoon with all the members and, and everything going okay suddenly we're facing chaos and at some point even doubts of whether we would get a result on fisheries on the fisheries negotiations and then again we managed to overcome that hurdle and conclude the negotiations in 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 the ministerial it was exciting it was tiring at the end very very gratifying because i think we managed to get this as you were saying uh it, it's it's a novelty that we have a wto agreement focused basically on sustainability it took a lot to change the mindset of trade negotiators to focus on sustainability instead of market distortions or or price distortions price effects it's 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 just a different way of engaging but as say was saying i think that having a text that brought members closer to what we were supposed to be discussing was key when i took the role of chair in november 2019 i started some bilateral consultations immediately and everyone was saying oh chair we should move to a text based negotiations and i said sounds great i'm a lawyer i'm used to looking at text contracts stuff like that and i said this sounds great what text should we use oh no chair there's no text so so how how do we move to text based negotiations if there's no text so initially my first aim and i think supported very 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 wisely by the team of the secretariat was let's then start thinking of creating a basis for that text based negotiations it took a while but in june 2020 we were able to deliver one first version of the text and i think that was the main milestone in taking us to the final result even if it took 20 years to get to that point it seems as if all the steps were necessary to get us there because as santiago was saying really it took a mindset change from members to be able to accept that this is something that we have to do for a common good having trade negotiators negotiate something on sustainability is extremely difficult so i think it was such a huge achievement and um it opens a lot of doors for the organization and for multilateralism in general so i think that what what we have in the final text that is basically i think it's 95% or 92% of what was initially presented to ministers core part of the ambition of the agreement so i'm very very satisfied with with the final result i hope members are as well the reaction from civil society and academic institutions has been varied most welcomed the agreement and at the same time pointed out that more has to be done we asked alice tipping the lead of sustainable trade and fisheries subsidies at the international institute for sustainable development for a reaction what we have is in my assessment the widest set of rules that could possibly be achieved given the political climate there are some voices out there who are a bit disappointed with the elements of the agreement that were left out in the final throes of the negotiation um and that in particular was rules that focused specifically on subsidies uh to overcapacity and overfishing of fishing fleets but the reason that those elements were left out was that members simply weren't able to come to agreement on what exceptions for developing countries could be included uh, alongside that prohibition so my assessment uh, of what's left uh, and the, the deal that was actually achieved is that it's an extremely good first step let me start by thanking civil society as they were champions of the negotiations they were very supportive of the process they were very supportive of the chair and of course now of the outcome i think their their continuous assessment has been very very important for me as chair but also for members in helping us not to lose track 
of our common objective in the negotiations. And I agree with Alice. This is the most ambitious and widest set of rules we could have achieved. And we achieved it. This is why I'm so satisfied. Of course, there will always be voices that will be more satisfied than others. And it's important to listen to those voices that may not be as satisfied or that believe that we could have done better. But it's also worth reminding ourselves that we have in front of us a multilateral agreement that is even more ambitious and tackles better the issue of harmful fisheries subsidies than plurilateral or bilateral agreements, even very recent ones. We must not forget the significance of this agreement in terms of its scope. I mean, not just in the substance, but also in the geographical scope. You know, um, there are some disciplines out there on fishery subsidies and other um, regional initiatives, but this is the first multilateral. This is 164 members, and we are also covering areas of the seas that have never been disciplined before. When it comes to members, you know, they all will view the success of the agreement or the effectiveness of the agreement with different lens. That's just the way multilateral agreements go. You find areas that you like and areas that you don't like. So I would say that more than a first step, this was the step we had to take as mandated. Members went even further and created an additional step, meaning a second wave of negotiations. Apart from the already ambitious outcome, we have what we're calling SDG 14.6 plus mandate having an additional mandate from ministers to trigger this second wave of negotiations to enhance even further the disciplines we already agreed to is, I think, a multilateral acknowledgement of the importance of ocean sustainability, of fishery sustainability, and the sustainability of the livelihoods of the coastal communities that so direly need the depletion of fish stocks to stop. Of course, we can always do better, but now we need to keep on seeing how to further improve these disciplines. And how will those discussions move forward, say? Um, what, what's the roadmap ahead? That's something for members to decide exactly how they would want to take this forward. I mean, at least within the decision, it said that we have the second wave and we have all the past work that um, we can reflect on. Members may want to do that. Members may want to take a step back and think about um, exactly how they want to approach those issues. But what is for sure is that members are committed to having the second wave. So many members are already thinking about how to enter into force what we currently have, whilst at the same time working on enhancing the rules. We have that. We have also the um, technical assistance and capacity building side, helping members get to that stage. We have the FISH Fund, which uh, the DG is establishing. So there's a lot of preparatory work for that as well. And you think the new Fisheries Fund will accelerate that um, by ensuring that members have the support that they need to implement? Absolutely. I mean, one of the main objectives of the Fisheries Fund is to assist members in terms of their fisheries management, but also in terms of their institutional framework in getting uh, complying with the agreement, helping it enter into force. Of course, we'll have to um, first have the, the fund established, but irrespective of that, already within the WTO context, we do provide that assistance. There was concern about the geopolitical tensions affecting negotiations, but they were overcome in the end. So what does that mean for the future of multilateralism um, that this agreement was adopted by consensus? It's, it's really great news because we managed to adopt, to agree by consensus, again, on a legally binding, enforceable multilateral agreement in the WTO, not just overcoming these geopolitical tensions that we have since, since almost the beginning of the year, but also fighting through the pandemic. I mean, most of the progress 
in the negotiations for the past two and a half years was done through the pandemic. So there's a lot of credit to give to the membership in how flexible they were. So I think if we manage to do this through two horrible crises, then it's good news. We have a way forward for multilateralism. On a lighter note, Ambassador Wills, you were spotted in the Salle de Pas Perdu here at the WTO playing the piano at one point. Um, I was wondering why you chose to do that and what pieces were you playing? Well, the piano was just there. <laughs> I was just having a meeting in one of the rooms in uh, Salle de Pas Perdu. It was a very tense meeting. I was waiting to hear back from the members meeting in that room some news of what they were considering among that group of members meeting there. So I was a bit uh, anxious. And then I played the piano and the piano was just there. So I decided to just give it a go. And, and uh, I just felt a bit relieved that I was able to take away some of the anxiety by playing the piano at that point. And I, I think it just played, uh, I was just improvising on the basis of a couple of songs that I've been writing from some years ago. Say, did you also rely on music to get through the ministerial? Actually, in MC12, what got me through was the technology. I mean, one of the things that come out of the pandemic that was extremely helpful, and I think also for our negotiations, it was all the technological capabilities that were enabled. And for me, it was really fun to teleport from one room to the next. At one point, I was in um, our little fishbowl room that we called where we had our, our brainstorming. The next moment, I was in room F or room D, you know, just from a click of a button, so it didn't feel like I was missing much. And I also got to hear uh, Santiago's beautiful piano because colleagues were able to send some um, videos of that. So it was really um, a different experience doing everything online, but um, it almost felt like a movie. And I think the DJ said that the few days of the uh, ministerial felt like a soap opera. And it was definitely my experience being on the other side of the screen. I want to conclude with one very, very important question to both of you. Do you like fish? I really love to eat fish, and I'm hoping that the next phase, not in the WTO generally, but that I will be able to just eat sustainable fish. I love to eat fish. I, I should confess that for the past two and a half years, while reading all these reports of the depletion of stocks and everything, I, I have felt a bit guilty to eat some of the seafood that, that I eat because I love it. I decided to stop a bit, so, so just as a matter of, of cleaning my conscience. But now with the agreement and the whole work we did, hoping that members implement it and that, that we actually achieve this big change and this big contribution for the, for the ocean sustainability, my conscience is a bit more, say it's cleaner so that I can eat my fish without some, some, so much remorse at this point because I, I, I love it. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. In this episode, we heard how WTO members finally came together to deliver the first multilaterally negotiated WTO agreement with a focus on the environment. If consensus here was only reached after intense late-night negotiations, we promise you no less drama, compromise, and good news in the next episode. The hottest issue under discussion at the Ministerial was the Vaccine Patent Waiver, or TRIPS Waiver. More than two years into the deadly COVID-19 pandemic, agreement was literally achieved at the last minute. Well, that issue was a footnote. I'm an academic, and this is the first time that footnotes became more important than the actual substantive text. It was footnote number one. It is in the interest of everyone across the world that everyone has access to vaccines, and diversification of manufacturing capacity is an important element in that regard. 
Tune in next time on Let's Talk Trade.